So, you know, we know the cultural iceberg, but what I've tried to do is turn the noun iceberg into a verb. So to iceberg something, or let's iceberg that, which is having an observation, which is above the water, and then diving deeper to figure out the values and beliefs that are driving that behavior. Hello. Welcome back to Destiny Benders. My name is Jessica Glauser-Giver, and my podcast co-host is Girish Balola. This is the podcast where we hear fascinating personal stories from international educators and education entrepreneurs, how they got started, what keeps them motivated, how they're changing lives with the work that they do. Girish, can you believe it? We are starting season three of Destiny Benders. It seems like we only just started the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I know. Isn't that pretty cool? You know, one of the things that I was thinking about recently was I was wondering how many podcasts really last long enough for it to really, you know, catch people's attention and get listeners, get used to listening to these, uh, you know, guests that we have. So, yeah, I am stoked that we're going to season three. Three is my favorite number. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping this year's going to be an awesome season. I know we have a lot of cool guests already lined up for this year. So also one thing I wanted to ask you about is I know that you just recently were at the NAFSA annual conference in Washington, D.C. Um, tell me about it. How was it? What did you do? Who did you meet? Yeah, NAFSA was back in full force. I was there with 8,000 of our fellow international educators from around the world. It was pretty cool. I mean, NAFSA was celebrating a 75th anniversary. So I think there was a little bit of a festive uh, mood to that because it was a big anniversary. And I think, you know, after the pandemic, last year was pretty small. So it was great to see it back in full force. No masks, really. Like last year was kind of like a little tentative. Mm-hmm. But this year, everybody's back. Smiles were a little bit brighter. Hugs were a little tighter. Mm-hmm. It was so good. It was so good to reconnect. Obviously, meet all of our old friends, make some new ones. Mm-hmm. Lots of meetings, lots of receptions, and lots of late night networking, if you know what I mean. I uh, do. It was, it was awesome. It was great. And you know what was really cool? is that some of the guests we've had on the podcast before, whom I've never met in person, were there. So we mm-hmm. actually got to actually meet in person. It was kind of cool. to. It was almost like a reunion within a reunion. Yeah. All in all, it was a great week. Uh, as usual, I am excited to continue the work, mm-hmm. exhausted <laughs> from a week of NAFSAing. I'm ready to go. And so speaking of guests at NAFSA, do you think you've identified some new guests for the podcast Absolutely. as well? People we can ask to to join Absolutely. us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, who do we have today? We've got season three, episode one. Who's our first guest for this season? Our first guest is my good friend and a fellow study abroad entrepreneur, Rich Kurtzman, founder and CEO of Barcelona SAE. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get Rich on and get started. Welcome back to the podcast, Destiny Benders. Our guest today is Rich Kurtzman, founder and CEO of Barcelona SAE and the author of Fish and Water. Uh, Rich, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. 
Welcome, Rich. It's really lovely to meet you. And I'm really excited to hear about your story, how you got into international education, what led you to where you are today. So why don't you kick us off with with basically answering that question? Where did your path in international education begin? And you can go all the way back to elementary school if that's where it started for you. We'd like to hear the whole story. Okay, so I was born on December 3rd. No, I just, I won't go back that far. <laughs> Different to some of your other guests who have said that they're accidental international educators. I think this has always been my path, honestly. Um, although I didn't actually leave the U.S. So I was born in Chicago, suburbs of Chicago, and grew up there, went to school in central Illinois. And I never left the U.S. until I studied abroad the first time. And that was in St. Petersburg, Russia for a summer. And it was fantastic. Opened my eyes to a new world, loved the language, loved the culture, loved being out of my comfort zone. And I knew I had to do more of it. So I still didn't know what I wanted to study at college. And I talked to some of my professors who said, you know, if you major in a language, you have to study abroad. I thought, perfect. Uh, so I double majored in Russian and Spanish. So I'd already done my Russia study abroad. Then I studied abroad in Madrid for a semester. Uh, and still couldn't get enough of it. So I, I studied those two majors. I had a minor in business. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated, but I knew I loved traveling. I love languages and I wanted to help as many other people get to do these things that I was doing. So I went straight into starting to work in international education and I worked for IES abroad in Chicago. And my job, I couldn't believe I got paid for it, but it was to tell students to go study abroad. And then help them when they were going. And I thought, I'm, I'm doing this for free, but now they're paying me. So this is perfect. But still had the itch to go abroad again. So I took a summer off and I led a group of high school students to Spain with the experiment in international living, which is through world learning, you know, SIT, that group there. And loved it. Loved it. Uh, came back to work at IES. Decided I wanted to do a master's degree in Chicago. I decided to stop my full-time job and keep working at IS part-time, but I was doing my master's degree in Spanish Applied Linguistics and Second Language Acquisition. But in the middle of that, I got to go to Milan for a summer with IES and an intern in their study abroad office. Doing my master's degree, teaching Spanish, loved teaching, loved being around education. Took another summer off to take another group of students to Spain. And then when I finished my master's, I thought, you know, it's just not enough to have these little bits. I need to go over there. I need to get this out of my system. So I told all my friends, my family, my girlfriend at the time, I said, give me two years. I'm going over to Spain and I'll be back. And lo and behold, two years turns into three, turns into four. And here I am still 21 years later living in Barcelona. Uh, I just, uh, what happened is I was working for IES in Barcelona, doing intercultural work, doing academic work there. Um, and then after about four or five years, I stopped that and I started doing intercultural consulting for executives. So executives from multinational companies that were moving from Poland to Spain or from Spain to Australia or whatever. And I was helping them get acclimated, learn about the culture. And I started also teaching for CEA in Barcelona. So I was teaching intercultural communication. I was teaching Spanish civilization and culture, the culture of food and wine in Spain, which is a very popular course. And then I decided I've got all these incredible experiences from these great companies. I want to put it into one company. And that's when I started Barcelona SAE in 2009, taking everything I'd learned from all these different places 
and focusing just on Barcelona, uh, really focusing on intercultural awareness, intercultural integration, really focusing on language acquisition and uh, taking advantage of this beautiful city that I get to live in. Wow, what a an awesome journey. You're right. I mean, we get paid to do some of the stuff we would do for free <laughs> happily, right? So Absolutely. Um so that journey uh, part of the journey the the transition to be an entrepreneur. I'm really curious. So what as you were working with IES and doing all these other things, did you ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur doing things on your own or how did that come about? No. <laughs> no. I I'm an educator. I'm not a business person, even though I minored in business. Um, I actually, in that time period there, when I was in Barcelona, I started up an English language teaching company with a friend of mine, but it was, it was nothing. I mean, it was, it was tiny. I didn't like it. Uh, you know, I, I go out to potential customers and they said, yeah, we'll have English class. And I was like, oh, God, that means I have to do work. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is not, this is not good. Um, and so we ended that. Um, and then what happened was um, uh, a school called me and said, hey, we're not happy with our provider in Barcelona right now. We've got a group of 11 students this summer of 2009. Would you be willing to be the site director for that group? And I said, yeah, I think I could do it. Why not? Um, and then I did it. And, it's, and then I thought, well, if I could do it for one school, why can't I start doing it for more schools? So it wasn't this entrepreneurial, I'm going to set out to create, you know, the biggest Barcelona program or compete with these others. I just thought, I love doing this. I want to help students. I had that small group of 11. I got to know every single one of them. I knew their hobbies. I knew their challenges. I knew everything about them. So that was 2009. And this summer, we'll have about 350 students or something. I get to work with about 25 people here in Barcelona. So that summer was me all by myself doing everything, housing, internships, excursions, emergency phone, everything. Uh, and now we have this amazing, amazing team. Uh, so it's been a fantastic journey over the last 15 years. I've learned much about much about the entrepreneurial side, the business side, but I still come at it very much as an educator and not from a business perspective. You're not an accidental international educator. You're an accidental entrepreneur. I think so. I think so. You know, my my parents were not entrepreneurs in the least bit. My my mom was a, a realtor, you know, worked really hard, but worked for companies. My dad worked for companies that never, you know, branched out on, on his own. It, it just came to me and I thought I can keep this going and I can learn across along the way, make a lot of mistakes along the way and keep trying to improve. And I I'm a voracious reader and learner. So I read a lot of business books. Uh, I try to learn as much as I can from other people and uh, and learn my lessons as I'm going along and and really just creating the team that has has helped do what we do now, which I'm really proud of. Going back to really what was the inspiration and the impetus for where you are today was that first trip to St. Petersburg, Russia, all those years ago, and you fell in love with study abroad. Tell us a little bit about, you, you know, you said it was an amazing experience and that's what, you know, everyone says who we talk to who have done a study abroad that led to where they are today. Give us some examples. Like what was amazing about it? How did you feel some experiences that made it almost life-changing for you, I guess, in a way in that it led you on the path that you are today? Kind of, can you 
give a little bit more detail or expand a little bit on on that particular experience? Sure, sure. So that was over 25 years ago, but there's still a lot of it that I remember, like it was yesterday. Uh, it was a small group I was with. I think there were eight of us with one group leader. Uh, and so that group leader was really important. And I remember being able to ask him any questions. He he really knew Russia and Russian inside and out. And I was so impressed with what he knew. We would try to catch him out and say, how, yeah, well, how do you say butterfly in Russian? And he would know it. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Right? I, I had taken the language for about two years in college and was learning along the way. And I, I've always loved languages. So that part for me was great. Uh, we lived in a hotel for about uh, five weeks and I lived with a homestay for three weeks. And I think that homestay experience was one of those moments that you're talking about. I just remember waking up in the morning, bleary eyed, and then having to speak Russian, like in the morning. And I was like, oh, oh my brain is just waking up. I'm not sure I could do this. Um, and, and I think there's something about the Russian culture. And this was back in 1996, right? So um, where when you're walking on the street, you don't see people smiling. You might smile back at them. You know, I'm from the friendly Midwest, so smile at people and they would not smile back at me. So I had, I started to have some of these, what they call cultural incidents, right? Where I'm like, what's going on here? What's, what's wrong with them or what's wrong with me? Right. And think, why aren't they smiling? And then thinking, well, why am I smiling so much? Uh, but then I met this family and they were so warm and so generous and smiley with me. I thought, okay, why don't you get to know people? You can smile at them. Whereas Americans, we just smile at everybody, right? And Russians even have a saying that says, he who smiles the most is a fool. And, and they think that, you know, just smiling to anyone makes you look kind of dumb. And so it was, it was a first without really knowing it, because I didn't study the theories at that point, but this was the first introduction to this idea of seeing things from a different perspective, using the cultural iceberg to deep down and figure out values and beliefs and thinking about intercultural competence. I have no idea of that theory. And I made a lot of mistakes as well. Uh, one of the stories I talk about in my book, if you indulge me with a quick story here. Um, so I, I love the languages. I really want to learn it. I remember I, I want to go to the store and buy some juice. So I look it up in my dictionary, you know, paper dictionary at the time. And I see, okay, suka, right? Okay, I can remember this. So I walk to the store. And at that time in Russia, you didn't just take things off the shelf and take it to pay the cashier. You Items are behind a counter and you tell the person there, which is usually a young woman, what you want. She gives it to you. You go pay somewhere else. So I get there. I get there. I'm like, okay, uh, there it is. Oh, I see her. I see it. Um, Suka. She looks at me with this strange face. And I said, again, Suka. And she, and she's just looking at me strange. And I thought, oh, I'm obviously not saying it right. Or she's not understanding me. So let me just say it louder. <laughs> right. <laughs> say it louder and kind of shout it. Oh, it's Suka. And, uh, and now people are stopping and looking and, and I'm like, what, what is going on? So finally I'm looking around and I see, what it is behind her. So I'm pointing like right behind her going, Suka, Suka there. And then finally she, she gives it to me. I go pay. God, it was so weird. And I asked this director, I said, was this some kind of cultural thing that you're not supposed to do? You're not supposed to point. I don't know. Did I say it wrong? He said, Oh, juice is sulk. I said, okay. It's pretty close, right? I said, yeah. Well, Suka is poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people can't see your reactions, but, but yeah, that was my reaction too. Like, oh man, that was a big mistake. Right. And, and I felt horrible about it. Right. And it's something I've never forgotten how to say that word. 
for sure. But I've also never forgotten that I didn't withdraw. I didn't say, okay, now I'm not talking to anyone. I was like, okay, this is a learning experience. They're horrible for what happened, but I'm going to keep practicing my language. And, and I, and I did, and I practiced and I got better and better. And, uh, stories like that later on, you can look back and laugh again. <laughs> I wish I hadn't called her that name. Um, but I try to get my students as well to say, go out there, make mistakes, practice, try it, get out of your comfort zone. Also back in 96, there were no cell phones, right? So my mom would, which I try to talk to my mom maybe once a week on a payphone, right? With a calling card and might have worked. You might have heard, you might not. So you're really doing things on your own. You're writing letters to each other where you get, you get deeper reflection there. And then I just came back with such confidence and feeling like I adapted to St. Petersburg. I can, I can adapt to pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. And that gave me the confidence to study abroad in Madrid and then go on and do other things. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. It's, it's hilarious. That was hysterical. Many yeah. such stories, can... right? People make mistakes <laughs> like that. And, and it's just amazing. I'm glad you didn't get beaten up in that story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So you you referred uh, you referenced your book, and I was going to ask you about that. So tell us about the book. I'm assuming, and I haven't had a chance to read it. I'm assuming it's about this journey or helping other people go through similar journeys. So please tell us more about that. Can you repeat the title as well, Rich? Sorry, can you repeat because I didn't quite catch the title at the beginning. Yeah, it's called "Like a Fish in Water: How to Grow Abroad When You Go Abroad." Okay. And I've been working in international education since 1998, so 25 years. And before that, I had studied abroad and all these, these different different trips myself. And so this has been my whole professional life. And now I, uh, I'm married to an English woman. We live uh, just outside of Barcelona now. I lived in Barcelona for 20 years. Uh, we live, my kids were, were born in Barcelona. So my kids are multicultural and I don't know what they are going to say that they are in the future because they're growing up with Catalan, Spanish, British English, and American English and have traveled a lot. So I, I live in this multicultural world, which I absolutely love and I've traveled a lot. And so I thought there's no book out there right now for students. There's great books about theory that are for educators that they can use in the classroom, but where's the book for a student to, to sit and read through before they're studying abroad, while they're abroad, and after they're abroad? So I took everything that I had learned and either created or borrowed from other wonderful people and put it into this guide that would take students through the pre-departure, think about what to reflect on, mindsets to have before they go, setting their goals, all of that they need before. And then once they're on site, how can they get to know uh, the, the city, the local culture? How can they use frameworks like the cultural iceberg? How can they look at food and culture? And use food and drink as a prism to learn about culture. And importantly, not just the culture that they're in, but their own culture and their own identities as well. Because like I always say, and you all, you know, and anyone in international education knows, you learn as much about yourself when you travel abroad as you do about the culture you're going to. But especially when you can reflect on it. So, you know, the Georgetown study that talked about how important that figure of a cultural mentor is and reflection is. For students to to move towards more intercultural competence. I thought, what a shame that some students don't have that that mentorship. They might not have it in the program. They might be traveling by themselves. A program might be too big and doesn't have the time to do it. But my book gives them activities to go out and interview people or 
different ways to get out of the comfort zone and then reflect on it so that even if they don't have somebody there, the, the book is like their cultural mentor. And then the final chapters are about how to use this experience to help them get a job, how to use the experience to help live a fuller and happier life afterwards. So it's it's sort of the whole course in in one book. And uh, and it was a it was a great journey. It was my COVID project. Where can people buy this book if they want to? It's on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. It they can get it through my website, which is fishinwaterbook.com. Mm-hmm. And they can go to the website and download a chapter for free. Um, soon, I will be putting some more information on the website, some more free things, maybe some some merchandise. There's some cute fish in the book. <laughs> i guide them <laughs> along the way. Um, and my story, so that story of Russia is in there, for example. So it's mm-hmm. not just theory. It's not just activities. It's it's interwoven with some of my stories from my experiences in Spain, Russia, Philippines, Italy, Thailand. There's a chapter on how to best learn a language. I really enjoy practical advice. I don't know. I, I often give sessions at uh, NAFSA and Forum, and my sessions are always with takeaways. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not that theoretical type person. And so the book hopefully is giving that right, takeaways along the way. I don't talk much about theory, although it's all based on theory. What's the yeah. word for uh, fish in Russian? Oh, I'm not, so I'm not my director there and I don't remember, uh, Riba. Okay, cool. Riba. So my Russian, it's a bit rusty, right? Cause that was 1996. However, last year, uh, we had a Ukrainian refugee family living with us here at our house for 10 months. Uh, you, you had Troy Peden on your podcast and Troy is an amazing person. And he, when he was over there, I've known him for a long time. When he was over at the border, we said to him, if you know a family that's willing to come to Barcelona, we have room for them. And he had this family that he had helped get across to Poland. It wasn't working out that well. Destiny just brought them to us. Uh, we ended up getting them here. They lived with us for 10 and a half months. They're like part of the family now. We still see them all the time. It was a mother, uh, her, her now 16-year-old daughter, and her nine-year-old son. So her son is the same age as my son. They go to class together. We got them in the same school. The daughter's great. She's she's working hard trying to find while she's going to school, trying to find jobs. Spanish has improved. Her English has improved. The mom is working really hard. We just had a 40th birthday party for the mom. And uh, it, it's been a great experience. But it was also uh, selfishly good for my Russian, right? Because they, they spoke Ukrainian and Russian pretty much exclusively, except for the daughter. And so I had to really brush up on it. And there we go. Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> So I'm going to go back to Barcelona SAE. I apologize. I don't know much about your company. Um, So I'd be interested to learn a little bit more. You said your focus solely, and it says it in the name, is Barcelona SAE. Do you only do programs in Barcelona? Have you, since you set up and spread out and you actually do study abroad programs in other locations, or is your sole focus still Barcelona and making it, you said, I think it was the biggest the you know, biggest and best Barcelona program in the study abroad world, or tell me a little bit about well, that. Why have sure. you not branched out? I guess is the other question. Cause I would have assumed like for other people, once they're successful in one place, they want to scale, don't they? And go other places. Sure. Why have you not done that? Good questions. All of them. Um, let's start with, are we in other places? No, we're, we're just in Barcelona. So we're going into our 15 year anniversary next year, which is really exciting. 
Um, and, and oh, so are we the biggest? We're definitely not the biggest. <laughs> There's a lot bigger ones in Barcelona. Are we the best? Uh, I'm humble enough to say, uh, yes, we are. No, I won't say that. We are. Uh, I'm very, very proud of what we do, and are we have very happy students and universities that we work with. But there are great programs out there as well. And we are only in Barcelona, right? We've stuck to that. Now, if it's a faculty-led program that wants to use Barcelona as a base and then travel to Madrid or southern France or other little cities, yes, we do that, of course. But I don't know. Have have you both been to Barcelona? Kirsch, I know you have because of the conference. Yeah. It is a city that offers so much. Uh, my, my cousin was just here visiting, never been here before. We were in Barcelona. I got a, I rented a, a moto, like a moped, and he was on the back. We were there for 10 minutes, and he says, there is so much energy here. And it's true. You go around the streets and there's so much vibrancy and energy and people want to be out. People are talking to each other. It's an amazing city that you could study architecture, of course. You can study business. It's really entrepreneurial. Uh, you can study multilingualism. I mean, there's so many things here. So we see that uh, Barcelona can offer a lot. We run our own school, our own uh, study center, academic study center. Um, and that's been growing, which is great. We can start to offer more classes. We have a real focus on DEI. So we have a, a todos commitment, the outcomes-based diversity outreach strategy, which has won lots of awards from the goalbra.com and nominated for awards. And we're really, really proud of, of the work that we do there, not just for the outreach to underrepresented students, but providing financial resources, intercultural training, for everyone, including homestay family training that we do and faculty training. Uh, our staff get a lot of training, just had one on the history of HBCUs, for example. And for a lot of Spanish people, this is brand new stuff. And again, this is, I think, maybe where the educator in me comes out and not the entrepreneur, because maybe the entrepreneur would say, yeah, we got something here. Let's go to these other cities that are really popular right now. And no, for 15 years, we've we've been here, we've been growing, we've been doing new and exciting things, and that keeps me interested. And so, yeah, for for now, this is this is where we're at. I just love, we're, we're offering new classes, like this summer, we're doing one called Black Barcelona, and it looks at history of immigration, um, leadership in a diverse world, uh, uh, in addition to many of the international business classes, and you got to study Dali, Picasso, and Miro, Miro if you're here, right? But that's that's what keeps me excited and working with some fantastic people. Rich, I want to pick up on what you were just talking about, right? I mean, you're an you're an international educator, not an entrepreneur, and that's why you're so focused. You approach everything as an international educator, maybe not as much as an entrepreneur. So I was actually going to ask you about that to see if you can comment on that. As a fellow entrepreneur, I resonate with that uh, in terms of the approach to business from a teaching, learning, education approach, as opposed to, hey, it's a business, a revenue model, VC funding, et cetera, et cetera, because there's, there's both of those happening in the world. A lot more of the latter happening than the former. So I was, I'm curious, as somebody who's been in the business of international education, uh, what you're seeing out there happening within international education. Plus, there are a lot of people who have been um, in employment at a university or a service provider are now starting to consider or explore going out on, the, on their own to start their own entrepreneurial ventures. Comment on that as well. If you can maybe share some insights or some advice 
the people who think about doing something on their own. Yeah, I think we've all seen the mergers and acquisitions and venture capitalist money bumping into to different study abroad companies. Uh, I think that is one thing that sets us apart, right? We're still, it feels like family owned, right? Uh, because I'm working with people that have been with me almost from the beginning, right? 13 years, 11 years, 10 years, eight years. And that's great. And like I said, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I, I do like business. I do like the strategy and learning. And uh, again, like I said, I read a lot of books about it and I'd, I'd like to employ those and figure out how they're going to work and how, but it's, it's all about how do we best serve our customers? And our customers are the universities that we work with. It's the students, it's the parents, right? And I think when you're Focusing on that. And then my other focus would be, how do I best serve the people that I work with? How do I, how do we keep them happy? And when you can focus on that, everyone else is happier as well, right? The students, and it's interesting because students happiness, you're not just focusing on student happiness because then you probably would, oh, let's have 30 minute classes and let's then you guys can go to the beach, right? And they'd be happy, but that doesn't work, right? Because you have to have the education side. You have to get credit for it. Uh, the universities have to be happy as well, and they want the intercultural focus. They want academic quality and academic rigor. So it's that balance that's that's actually pretty fun and exciting to think about. I don't know about the the big money coming in. I, I don't really want to comment on you know if that's changing the way that they do things. I do know it it does make it a little bit harder for the smaller ones that don't have the marketing bucks to put in. Can't send you know twenty people to a an AFSA conference, right? Just can't afford it. Is that really what makes a difference, right? And some of the things that I've learned in businesses, what is the one thing that you need to focus on? What gets you the furthest, the fastest? And I think, again, we're surrounded by so much input and people are always so busy, right? And and I've talked to people, I said, you're not allowed to say busy anymore. If you go to NASA and somebody says, how are you? You cannot say busy because uh, I write a newsletter as well, a newsletter called Culture Stock, Tips and Strategies to Increase Cultural Awareness. And so I throw out a lot of the activities from my book, just really quick snippets of if you're an educator, you can use this in the classroom or abroad. And one of the things that I talk about is why do we say we're busy so often? Right? This question of why and this curiosity is what I, I try to instill in our students. So you know, we know the cultural iceberg, but what I've tried to do is turn the noun iceberg into a verb. So to iceberg something or let's iceberg that, which is having an observation, which is above the water. And then diving deeper to figure out the values and beliefs that are driving that behavior. And this is what I do this all the time, almost as an obsession when I travel somewhere or even, even here. I look at some, or when I'm back in the US, I look at something like, wow, that's, why are they doing that? I think, okay, let me, let me iceberg it and, and dive deeper. And, and I love doing it almost probably to the annoyance of anyone around me, but, and I got off track there, but this is, uh, what I, think that study abroad should maintain that. So, you know, I started out saying I was alone with 11 students. I got to know them. I got to know all about them. They got to know me. We have tried, we've tried to keep that even as we've grown. So now every staff member is a is what we call a cultural mentor. And they have a group of 10 to 15 students for the semester or summer. And, and they have that group like I had the first group. Right? They get to know those students. And so no student is just a number. They are uh, somebody that we know, we know their hobbies, they're into yoga, we help them find yoga. And, and I think that makes for a deeper experience. Does it make for a better bottom line profit? No, it's expensive to have all that stuff. 
the way that we approach this is like, if I were to go study, I don't know, in Delhi, how would I want that program to look like? What would I want included? I, I want them to take me to the local markets. I want them to give me some crash courses in the languages. Um, I want to get to know the local people, right? And that's, that's what we do. And it's, again, it's not always the best business in terms of the bottom line, but I think it's the best way to study abroad. So going back to the other question, if somebody wants us to do this themselves, and I, I love to mentor as well and coach. And so I've talked to people who are doing this and I tell them a lot of things I'm, I'm telling you. I think it's got to come. It's got to start from the education abroad side. What is the best program that you can, you can do in that place that you're going to? What, what is the why behind, not to sound like Simon's neck, but what is the why behind what you're doing? You've got to understand that and not just look at the numbers for sure. Uh, so somebody wants to do it. I would say, first of all, they're welcome to find me on LinkedIn or anywhere. And I'm happy to talk to them about it and say it doesn't have to be done like everyone else, right? Like, uh, Jessica, you asked me, why aren't I, why haven't I gone out? Well, I know that's what everyone else is doing, but I don't really want to do that. Uh, this is what I'm doing and it's, it's worked out and I have a great life. Get to work with wonderful people and do the things I want to do, even though I'm not doing what maybe people thought I should do. Great. Thanks for that. I think to me, it makes sense. Like I, I'm not an entrepreneur and Girish knows this very well. <laughs> it makes sense to me to to do something the way you think that you would you would want it to be done and not what everybody else has done. And you're right, mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of money being pumped into all areas of international education. My area is uh, recruit student recruitment. That's my background, not education abroad. Um, but and there's lots and lots of new players almost weekly. That's what we're seeing all the time. Is this a similar sort of thing happening with study abroad and education abroad? Or is it more, as you were saying, people are creating these programs that are um, really about the experience and providing the best experience? And I don't want to say that they're mutually exclusive, right? So it is happening for sure. There are mergers, there's acquisitions, there's companies backed by uh, private equity or venture capital and I'm not saying that that means that they're now bad programs. I mean, sometimes that money could be used for great things, more scholarships, get more students abroad. Maybe they can take more risks in new programs that uh, that pay off, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's absolutely happening. And I'm I'm not saying that that means that all of a sudden that they become terrible programs. Um, it, I think it's yet to be seen how it plays out in our field of international education. No, Garish, you might agree, but it's it's pretty new what can happen there. And I think we're seeing some some interesting changes that are going on and, and a lot of other players that are still same old uh, as they've been. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's not necessarily bad, um, but I've also seen that a lot of money coming in comes with a lot of expectations in terms of the return on that money. And mm-hmm. so the companies who are taking in a lot of funding have to cater to that demand from the VCs and the private equity firms to return that money for folks like us who are just, you know, self-funded or revenue funded and then growing it slowly. Uh, we don't have that pressure so we can continue to do what we set out to do. Right. So right. Uh, that's what I see in the market out there. So no, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I know it's really cool to have seen you grow and, and 
all the, the wonderful things that you guys are doing out there. So, I, I, you know, that, that's great. So let's maybe switch gears a little bit. I, I've been wanting to ask you this from the beginning when you said you left for Barcelona and said, hey, family, hey, girlfriend, two years, I'm leaving. Uh, just be patient with me. I'm sure your family was patient, right? Because they have no choice. <laughs> what happened to the girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, uh, we stayed together for a little bit and then... The distance was too much. And so say goodbye, which led me to get to have a Spanish girlfriend for a little while, which was really fun and interesting and great for the cultural experiences, but didn't uh, didn't work out in the end. <laughs> um, and coincidentally, around that two year mark, when I was thinking of going back, I met another girl here and thought, hmm, maybe I'll give this one a, a chance. And that person ended up being my wife. Right. So she kind of kept me around and she's wonderful. We've been married for a long time now. We've been together for about 18 years and uh, married for about 13 years. And so uh, it's it's been great. Like I said, she's English. So we have cultural differences there. Which I can probably... speak to that because I'm married to a British guy. And let me tell uh, you, just because you just speak the same language, both speak English, doesn't mean you understand each other at all. <laughs> Or do you actually no, speak the same language, Jess? I mean, maybe we don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. It's it's funny when with the kids, especially. Uh, so, Jess, you understand this, but I'll say to my son, like, "Hey, you need some. Go put some pants on, right?" Yeah. I'm like, right, "I've got <laughs> pants on." I'm like, "No, no, you know." And and pants, taking out the, the other rubbish. Pants. And, <laughs> yeah, 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 and you know, food, all the food. I said, you want peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And first time I said it to my wife, she was like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Because jelly is jello to us. Mm-hmm. Right? And she thought it was literally going to be peanut butter. And, and, and then times it's just like she would talk to me at the beginning. Now, now it's fine. But at the beginning, she talked to me and I would just look at her with this blank stare. And she's like, you don't know what I'm saying, do you? I'm like, no. <laughs> I didn't catch what, half of that. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, and one of my really good friends here that I lived with for a long time is Welsh. And so same thing happening there. He would say something and I would just be like, can you repeat that? And and this, uh, I think, led me to also write the book because a lot of my friends here are, are British or international. And at the beginning, they would be like, you are so American. <laughs> and so I think, well, what does that mean to be so American? And then you just get walking around smiling at everybody, Rich. Yeah, <laughs> smiling and. It was early 2000s. So I was wearing baggy clothes. And now they're like, what do your friends think when you go back with these tight shirts and <laughs> tight <laughs> trousers? I'm like, yeah, they, they like my style. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you, you owe us so much for what we've done for you. Yeah. And banter, you know, well, just, you know, it's like the English banter. Which, I don't get it. Which, <laughs> she doesn't get I've, it. I've gotten into, I've had to get into it. But if you're from the Midwest, it's not banter. That is insulting and being rude to people i'm so glad you said that give me an example i'm lost now give me an example what are you talking about i mean it's it's basically like if i'm around a group of guy friends that are british if they're not making fun of me then i'm not really their friend yeah we don't have a good relationship yeah it's when you can you know it's very hard in british culture i think to compliment somebody earnestly right it's more about Putting a little big chops all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to stop myself from going back to the U.S. I go back often and doing the same thing because I would hurt people's feelings for sure. Exactly. 
okay. I know. And then sometimes I'll insult my husband and I'll be like, Hannah, it was just banter. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it goes too hard. Wait, wait. That's not banter. That is just that's bad banter, which is yeah, insulting. It's like you still don't get banter, Jess. And like, <laughs> uh, so, Rich, I, uh, as we wrap up for the the, the session here, um, we always like to do this quick fire round and just to try to make it a little bit lighter. But although this has already kind of gone into that with the whole bank, <laughs> uh, but I am curious. You've lived in Barcelona for twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or something like that now mm-hmm. do you miss living in the u.s or if you're if you don't think about the u.s as a place to live are you is that itch still about maybe moving somewhere else i don't miss living in the u.s and that doesn't mean i just like the u.s at all i just love my life here so we lived in the center of Barcelona for a long time and then during covid moved down the coast so now we're about 45 minutes on the train down the coast the beach, beautiful beaches are 15 minute walk away. We live in this in a town about 70,000 people. It's got bars, it's got beautiful plazas, squares, uh, restaurants, sun all the time. Uh, I don't, we, we didn't have a car until about two months ago. So I don't miss traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't miss the prices in the US. I go back now and I can't believe how much prices have gone up. Um, so I don't think I love going back. I, I'm glad that I get to go back for school visits and conferences. My mom still is in Chicago. My sister is in Boston. I've got friends all over the place. So I love going back and visiting, but we're really happy here and and so happy here. I don't I don't see us going to live anywhere else. Uh, I do see us traveling a lot. So my son is ten. At the end of this year, he will have been to twelve countries already, which is really important to me. Um for them to see that. And so I, I, and I'd like to get out of my comfort zone as well. And to be honest, this is not really out of my comfort zone anymore after this long. So I want to go to new places constantly if I can for, for shorter periods of time, but, but we're really happy here. It's, just, it's a great place to be. And Bar- I get to be in Barcelona. It's an easy train ride. It's an easy bus ride. So it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I loved it. I absolutely love Barcelona. I, I'm looking forward to coming back sometime soon. And we'll for sure. And come I hope you do. Yeah. You absolutely. asked earlier, you asked earlier if we'd been to Barcelona and I put my thumb up, although the audience couldn't see that. So I had traveled to Barcelona because I studied art and, and architecture history at university. And um, you mentioned Miro and Dali. And one of my most favorites is Antony Gaudi. So I mm-hmm. wanted to go to Barcelona to see Gaudi's architecture. So my quick fire question for you is, oh, well, maybe you don't have one, but it, do you have a favorite um, Gaudi building or just an architectural wonder in Barcelona of which there are lots to choose? Oh, there's so much. It's, it's like walking around in a museum here, uh, you know, an outdoor museum. I, I would say, and it's an easy answer, but I would say Sagrada Familia. Yeah. You know, the Church of Sagrada Familia. Mostly because I've seen it and grow incredibly over the last 20 years. Mm. When I first got here, it was a shell of a building. And in fact, I remember during one of the festivals of Barcelona, I think it was my first year here, where they do lots of fireworks. They were actually inside the Sagrada Familia, what was what it was at the time, shooting fireworks out through the empty windows. And I've got pictures of it. And it was so beautiful. But now I don't. You've seen it kind of recently. It's it's grown so much. It is so mind blowing. And I'm not a religious person, but I go in there and I think, 
I understand why people would be religious because this is, it is mind blowing is really the only term I can use for it. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Uh, and, and I've seen it grow as I've been here. Yeah. So I think that's, it's really that's special cool. for me. Yeah. And they're yeah, still it's, not it's finished. Isn't that right? They're still no. not finished. So you think about cathedrals or mosques or you've, you visited and said, this was started, you know, in the 1500s and it took 200 years to build. That's like people are going to be saying about Sagrada Familia. And I'm, and I'm here for that or, period yeah. of time. <laughs> or a big chunk really of lucky. it too. Yeah. So you, you said travel is uh, something you're looking forward to. Uh, where's a place that you're hoping to travel next? I want to go somewhere that's really different for me again. Uh, ideally, if I could, I mean, these students that get to do a month study abroad uh, for a summer and learn the language and culture and get to see the city, like how awesome would that be to do again at our age, right? Yeah. I would love to go to Tokyo and learn Japanese for a month and study the culture. So I'd like to get there. Certain parts of, I haven't been to China very much. I'd like to go there. I did um, Kung Fu for a while, Wing Chun Kung Fu for about mm -hmm. five years, which comes from China. And so it'd be neat to go there and study that. Um, so I try to do what we tell our students to do, which is get in activities they, they enjoy. So when I went to Thailand, I did Muay Thai classes mm -hmm. there. I got beat up really badly, um, but it was fun. And so I don't know, I, somewhere in Asia, I would say would be next. I know that's very broad. Yeah. But I don't know yet. Nothing is on the horizon except the summer is Mexico. But I've I've been there before and love it. But. Yeah, cool, awesome. Well, we wish you all the best as you grow Barcelona SAE, and good luck with the book as well. I think it's uh, it sounds like a really cool tool. I'm gonna get my hands on it. Uh, best Thank of you luck both. Everything. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you. This has been really fun. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the first episode of season three of Destiny Vendors. Join us next time when we speak with Boris Walbaum, the founder and president of Forward College.